this was an instance where it was like, oh, our, our products actually can make a difference um, and really be helpful for healthcare workers. And so that's where we made the commitment to donate $1 million worth of product to healthcare workers around the US, 50% just in um, New York City, because New York City was at that time the epicenter um, of the pandemic. From We First, welcome to Lead With We, the podcast where top business leaders and founders reveal how they built high growth and high impact companies by putting We First. Welcome to this episode of Lead With We, where I'm talking to Maggie Hero, the head of social impact at Harry's, the razor company that is committed to addressing mental health and especially mental health in young men at a time when it's needed most. Maggie, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? Very well. Very well. Thank you. And you, you've got to tell us, Harry's, who's Harry? How did the company start? Give us a little bit of background there. So Harry started about seven years ago, and Harry's is a, a men's grooming brand. And it was started by Andy Katz Mayfield and Jeff Reader. You might know Jeff. Jeff started Warby Parker. And the two of them just wanted to start a men's grooming brand that spoke to men a little bit differently, provided, you know, products at a fair price point. And, you know, if you look at all the other brands out there and what they saw, you know, they didn't really see themselves in, in these other brands. And they didn't really think that those brands were speaking to, to the men and the guy that they wanted to speak to. And so they created Harry's. And why Harry? They just like the name Harry? Where did that come from? They did like the name Harry. Um, I, I'm not quite sure exactly the origins of where Harry came from, but I, I think it's an approachable men's name that really did well and we tested it and I think has, has grown for sure. Nice, nice. I've got this vision of the two founders sitting there with like boys' baby names thumbing through the book saying, what are we going to call the company? It's interesting. I mean, you know, as a man, you walk into a pharmacy and you see that there's two things that have locks on them. One is the alcohol and one is the high-end razor. It's almost like the holy grail when you get to that cabinet full of these very, very expensive razors. Did they start the company just because they were so expensive and they saw a marketplace need there? Or did they actually want to start something purposeful? I think both. And I think what they wanted to do was bring you know, a more fair price product to the market and then saw the opportunity to do so and saw the opportunity that, you know, there aren't that many brands in this space and so that we could be a great alternative. And then along the way, in three or four months of launching Harry's, we started what we call the 1% program, which is 1% of all of our sales go back to nonprofit organizations. And why did they do that? Why, what, what inspired them to do that? Because it's hard enough to start a company without then giving away a percentage point of your profits. I think if you get, if you talk to Jeff and Andy directly, it's almost like too simple of an answer that they think that, you know, when you, you can do well as a business and do good in the world. And those things don't need to be mutually exclusive that you can do both at the same time. And so I'd also say like young people today, our team is, is young, um, skews younger. And this is what they're demanding of their employers. Not only that their brand meets a need in the world, that they give back um, and then also that they're given time to give back. So there are two big components of our social impact program. 
first and foremost, it's the 1%. 1% of sales is always given back to nonprofit organizations. And then we give all U.S. employees five paid days to give back to organizations of their choice. I say, you know, whatever moves you, whatever keeps you up at night, we're going to allow you to do that. We're going to give you the paid time to do so because giving back your time is important as money. And, you know, there's a lot of companies talking about their purpose out there today. So it's almost competitive. How do you make sure that people believe you that you're doing it legitimately, that it's not just window dressing, it's not just optics, it's not just, oh, that's just something we have to do today because everyone's doing it? So there's a few different ways, I think, that we try to do that. One is that all of our donations that we donate that are part of this 1% are, are done on a project by project basis. We don't just make blanket donations to organizations that we've never talked to before that are going to, you know, general operating funds. We're really interested in the actual project at hand. So in terms with Harry's and, and our focus on mental health, we're digging in, you know, what mental health program are you doing that is aligned with your long-term impact that we could also support and, you know, helps us prove that we're laddering up into this larger goal of reaching 500,000 men. There's a beginning, middle, and end to our projects. There's an actual impact report written to make sure that we're actually, we're doing the work together, that it's not just talking about it out in the world. And so that's how we try to sign our partners and make sure that there is an actual impact being made into the world. So you actually curate your partners and you really hold hold them accountable to make sure that you're getting the result. Let me ask you, what, why mental health? I mean, it's such a problematic, complex, difficult issue. I got to say, as a man, those few minutes you get each morning when you shave is something that you take for granted, but it's when you gather your thoughts, you kind of check in emotionally, you plan out your day. So I get that. But what was the, what was the insight? Why, why commit to something that is such a, a deep-rooted problem, something that's you know, so silent? Why that issue? I think it's because we felt like we could have a voice here more than anything. And, and when I got here, we were focused on supporting organizations that were um, promoting positive masculinity. And you can see that through, hopefully you see this, all through our branding. And that's how we try to talk to men. We try to meet them where they're at. We want to embrace the ands that, you know, men can be gentle and strong. When I, when I got here and when we were, we took a step back and we wanted to actually think a little bit deeper around promoting positive masculinity. Like what is positive masculinity? And so we had to say, what's an issue that men have in the world today? And when you look at the stats and dig a little bit deeper, and we went to our partners and had these really hard conversations, those who overwhelmingly serve men, or what they kept on saying was men's mental health. Mental health, the outdated stereotypes that are put on men today don't allow them to get the access and care that they need. Um, and so we just kept on digging, you know, like what would actually, who could benefit from our programming? And it turns out veterans, veterans can, LGBTQ folks. So all of a sudden you're learning that not only is it men, but there are different populations of men that suffer from mental health challenges more than another. So how do you go from that insight to actually having either a stated purpose or a program? I mean, I know that you've got your commitment, your mission to create things people like more, but then how do you get to a purpose? And then how do you go from that purpose to a program? 
So for us, the first step was identifying men's mental health, right? And for all of the stats out in the world, men die by suicide 3.5 times more than women. And then it's identifying the particular populations that we, we feel like we could really make a difference for. And that's LGBTQ folks, veterans. We lose 22 veterans in the U.S. a day by suicide, LGBTQ. <laughs> They suffer from depression and anxiety four times more than their straight peers. Young men in particular, um, suicide is the second biggest killer in the U.S. for men under 35. And then in the U.K. in particular, in that partnership, we were doing something really interesting with men who are experiencing homelessness. Over 80% of them report being in mental health crisis while they are experiencing homelessness. And so those were the populations that we served. And then we said, okay, but like, what are we going to do here? How many men could we really reach in a few years or in a couple years, actually, when you get down to it? Um, we went back to our partners. We started to scope out projects. By January 2021, we're going to reach um, half a million guys. And why half a million? Was that number significant in some way? I think it's impressive if you think about it. Like a lot of our partners wouldn't be able to make that impact on their own. Um, and we were excited to like rally around and build this team of real true experts in the space. And that's what we did. We have nine, you know, legitimate experts and folks who've been doing this for years. It was lofty. I'm not going to lie. There were days where we thought we would never be able to make this amount of impact, but we're almost there and we're going to do it. And, you know, it's one thing to have that intent and to have the partners and the experts with you, but you've got to make it true of the company inside. It's got to be legit. Otherwise, people will call you out in a heartbeat, as they should these days. So how did you go about getting, whether it's investors or the board or employees on board, how did you make it true of the organization? What did you do? Luckily, Jeff and Andy have had such a conviction from this from day one. I think, like, the board is in on it, you know, they get it and they understand I think our customers are in on this and get it and understand, and we'll bring them along the way as we begin to, you know, develop this program and, and begin to like have this be a consistent voice from us. Um, and the team, I think, is the biggest question that was really difficult. When we brought this new focus area to our senior leadership team, obviously the first question was like, are we taking care of our team's own mental health? And that led to a lot of checks and balances. We had to do some like deep dive into, you know, our perks and policies all aligned with what we're saying out in the world. And I think actually that I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's one of the reasons why this has been really tricky for brands to take on. It's a, it's a hard thing to communicate out into the world. But also, you know, are you doing it well internally as a team? Do you provide free mental health care to your employees? Do folks feel like this is a place that is accepting of mental health challenges? And I think we had to do the hard work there. Um, we felt good enough to start to launch the program, which was great. And I think it actually just pushed us to become much better at this. How long did that take, that process of making it true inside the company? Because, you know, you're anxious to get out to market. You want to talk to people about what you're doing. You want to solve for the issue, but it's got to be true. How long did that take? I think it probably took about six months or so to make the decision internally that this is something that we want to do, do checks and balances internally. Like, do we actually have the right policies in place? And that from there, we've just taken it um, and, and run with it. During COVID and this transition from work to home, work from home, sorry. You know, this is, this is a challenging time for everyone, parents in particular. 
uh, we needed to make sure that our team felt like they could take time, like they could take mental health days. So we implemented in the remote environment two days off per month that were mental health days that people could take on as they wanted to. And then we found actually that people weren't taking those days even though we were offering it. So we've mandated some of those mental health days um, for the rest of the summer. What were the obstacles you found internally? You might have the CFO who says, we're just trying to survive. I mean, we are hemorrhaging here. We don't have time for the luxury of doing good. Or you've got someone internally, an employee who says, this is none of our business. We're not experts in mental health. You know, we make affordable raises. What are we doing? Like, how did you deal with issues like that? At the beginning, there was a tiny bit of pushback and struggle, not not necessarily, I think it's just all of the competing priorities, right? We have so many things going on. How are we going to take the time to, you know, take mental health days? How are we going to allocate more budget to absolutely free therapy for our staff for, you know, up to six sessions? Like, how could we possibly do that? And then COVID hit. And I think that truly was a click for our team that we need to value mental health now more than ever. And I'd like to think that we put in the groundwork beforehand that we could sort of like springboard from there and really focus in on like, okay, our team needs more time. They need more support. They need to be able to quickly access a therapist uh, without like dealing with their insurance company right now. So that's what we did. And we also have a ton of our team, like our team volunteers and gives back to these organizations. We have crisis counselors on staff that have gone through an intensive 40 hour training who actually sign up for these shifts during the, during the day. Um, and that's helpful for their mental health. And what results did it have with your employees on two fronts? One, the fact that the company's showing up and doing something really meaningful like this, but two, this is a really stigmatized issue. I mean, even if you give free mental health support to your employees, are people going to you know, show up and say, yeah, I need that support? So how did you deal with that? What, what, what results did you see? Yeah, I think we're still sort of tracking the results, honestly, and because COVID is so new and all of this is, is so new. But what I can say is that, you know, when we do ask our employees, does our social impact make you proud to work here? Like overwhelmingly what we hear is yes, you know, and when we post on social media, our employees repost and feel like, oh, this is exactly why I work at a place like Harry's. After COVID, instead of hitting your customers with missed messages or just like things that folks didn't want to hear, we talked about mental health. Like, are you okay right now? And how did you balance talking about COVID specifically and the health challenge that represented with mental health, which is kind of almost a subset of that in some ways? Like, how do you balance those two? When COVID hit, our immediate response was, we have to talk to our customers differently. We have to talk to our team differently. Like we can't go on as business as usual. Like nothing is normal right now. And so one, just admitting that and giving people access to crisis lines that they might need um, and giving them the resources that they need immediately was on top of our list. So that was, a, that was our for, first like immediate response. And then a shorter term response actually was a little bit more focused on COVID that the healthcare crisis. So what we were doing was donating our products one off to hospitals around the country. And then we started to hear like, oh, actually they folks need this to get what they call a good seal. To get a good seal in an N95 mask, you need to be clean shaven. This was an instance where it was like, oh, our, our products actually can make a difference um, and really be helpful for healthcare workers. And so that's where we made the commitment to donate $1 million worth of product to healthcare workers around the US, 50% just in um, New York City, because New York City was at that time 
at the center um, of the pandemic. I mean, that's such a meaningful you know, in direct connection to the product. It's really, really powerful. What about when, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests came along, which are a little sort of um, tangential, shall we say, like, how do you then pivot at the same time as a purposeful brand when your core focus is mental health? How did you, how did you cope with that? You, you should have been hopefully thinking about that. And we, we were thinking about that, which was good. I think, um, what we didn't know is that the Black Lives Matter movement would bubble to the surface so quickly. And I think, you know, for us, it was a matter of we couldn't just donate to organizations that we had no relationship with, that had we'd never talked to before, that were doing the work right now. We needed to actually go back to what do we know really well, and that's mental health. And if you look at the state of the world right now, I feel strongly saying now too, and talking to all of um, these partners and folks working in the space that what the black community is experiencing right now could be considered trauma. So we made the commitment to donate $500,000 in the US and 50,000 pounds in the UK to organizations that were supporting the black community in particular in their mental health and giving them access to mental health. What we didn't feel like we could do is like make a donation to some organization that was you know, paying for legal fees. Not that we don't believe in that. It's just that if we wanna make a long-term commitment here and we want to actually bring in the black community in a, in a more distinct way, we actually need to call out this as a challenge right now. I'm not gonna pick a partner that we can never partner with in the future. Now we're gonna have a whole new, um, you know, we're going to announce them within the next couple of weeks, you know, six partners in the US and four in the UK that we could potentially have as long-term partners. That's super exciting. And the point you're making is so important, which is, you know, sometimes purposeful brands feel like they've got to sort of break right and pivot to a whole issue that's unrelated to their core purpose. But in fact, there are always ways to bring your core purpose to life in ways that are relevant to that issue, because all of these larger social issues manifest themselves in many ways. And you can find that intersection um, as you did. What do you do now? You know, we're all facing um, resurgence of the first wave or what some might be calling the second wave that's putting more downward pressure on the economy and companies what happens at those breakpoints where like any company you sit there and say wow our sales are really hurting but we're really committed to our purpose what wins the day and how do you make that decision do you think it's this sort of authentic drumbeat of your social mission right that i think customers can see through if it has spikes that you've never seen before. The more we do the hard work and the downtimes um, and then continue to support when there are these like upsurges, these crises that happen and we can be responsive and tie it back into our core and who we are and, and what we do. I, I tend to think that that's the right direction and it just works for us. I also think the 1% really lends itself to that, right? Like 1% of sales as we grow as a company, as we do better as a company, we're able to give more. That's a significant amount of money. Are there any points at which you go, wow, we really can't afford to do that right now? I mean, you know, there are moments in this, especially in this unprecedented economic time, where you're like, we simply can't afford to do this because we've got a, a company has to survive. We're not doing anything for anyone by going out of business. So how do you navigate these sort of these crisis points? I think, yeah, it's a great question. I'd say that like, have it built so deeply into your DNA that there's no going back on it. 
you know, there's probably no more sensitive issue to talk about on digital and social media than mental health. People don't even want to sort of admit to themselves often that they're, they're suffering from an issue like this. And with COVID, you know, there's been a huge flight to e-com and digital storytelling, which means it's you're talking about a very sensitive issue at arm's length, even more so than ever. So how do you approach that sensitive topic? And how do you make sure you don't get pushback that's really going to be harmful to the company? I think there's a few different things that you can do. One is, is making sure that you're focusing in on your partners, right? Like we, I think we've, we've earned some credibility that we can talk about men's mental health as a brand, but more often than not, we're actually telling our nonprofit stories more than ours. You know, like a call to men, for example, who's been one of our longest standing partners. How do they weave in the way they talk about positive masculinity and positive manhood and mental health? Like what are their correlations? So just featuring our nonprofit partners and making sure that they're centered as the experts um, in the space and going back to them. What do you think? How can we how can we elevate your voice? How can we elevate your brand and what you're talking about right now? I think that's such an important point you're making. You know, it's not like every brand suddenly needs to spin up a discipline or expertise that they're just not qualified to have, but rather find those partners on the ground. And then, as you said, you've got to be the celebrant, not celebrity of your community. It's not about talking about what you've done, but really elevate the nonprofit and celebrate what they're doing. You know, how important are partnerships to scaling your impact? Like as you plan the next three to five years, you know, especially in the time of COVID, what role does partnership play and how are you seeing that? Yeah, it, it means everything to us. What's exciting to us is that, you know, the first year you partner with us, we have like a pretty cool project. And then the next year, it's like, how do we take this to the next stage? You know, is this could be this be stage one of three different stages of how you're going to flip this whole topic on its head. We're having some really cool conversations with partners right now around diversifying their crisis counselor pool. You know, how do you bring in more voices into the mental health space? What we know about representation, what we know about therapists out in the world is that they're overwhelmingly white. um, And that's not helpful for people of color. They're always looking at a white person in these pretty like intimate moments in direct therapy. And so I think it's about taking it to the next stage, just taking it to this more innovative place after you've already partnered with us. What can we do together that would be so cool and interesting and innovative? I love how, you know, the impact work you're doing is animating the company itself. It's incredible. And you see brands out there like Patagonia leading conversations about responsible consumption or economy or Everlane about radical transparency. Here you're talking about positive masculinity. It's a double-edged sword, though, because all of these issues are so complicated. And so how do you approach the many layers to a complex issue like mental health so you can wade in there confidently? For example, don't you have to destigmatize it in the first place? You can't just step in and tell people here's a solution. Like, how do you approach that? Yeah, I do think it's, again, like bringing it back to the partners and have them help us talk about this. Also, I mean, I think with mental health, the more you talk about it, the better it becomes. And and we as a brand needed to do some thinking on that. Like, are we okay with saying the term suicide to our customers? You know, like, are, can we do that? And overwhelmingly, we decided, yes, if men are dying 3.5 times more than women by suicide, we have to say the word. Now, it needs to be in the right context. It needs to be the right framing. And of course, our marketing teams will help us do that. We'll partner with them to tell the right story. But I think, you know, 
more and more as we're getting into this space, just saying the term mental health, driving people to resources, doing some campaigns and highlighting in our via email or um, on our social media or having a product like a pride product that just sold out that 100% of the proceeds go back to the Trevor Project, which is not just an LGBTQ organization, but one that helps with mental health specifically. Those are the types of things that we, we just want to story tell the work that our partners are doing and just highlighting those consistently helps. It helps from our leadership team too, from that perspective. like. Jeff and Andy are, and all of our senior leaders come to team meeting and talk about mental health. They talk about how they're doing. It's okay now to say during COVID, this is a devastating time and I don't know how to sugarcoat this. And that realness, I, I like to think is part of us consistently talking about mental health um, in the workplace and also out there externally in the world. So as a brand, you're sitting there going, we're talking about this on our social channels on our digital channels. And you're really opening yourself up for an infinite number of responses, positive or negative. And that kind of makes some brands gun shy. What do you do? How do you manage that, that dialogue that comes back at you? I think it's coming back with conviction that this is our cause and that we care so deeply about. We actually need to focus in on one area. And so, there, so you feel so confident in saying, this is our cause area. This is what we care about. What we truly care about is access to mental health care. Like, I'll say it, like we put our money where our mouth is. We're not just talking about this issue. It helps that we give significantly against it. This focus you talk about is so important as other partners. At the same time, one of the kind of odd results of this increasingly purposeful marketplace is there's a lot of competition around the same issues. For example, Crisis Text Line partners with a number of different brands. Apart from really walking your talk and putting your money where your mouth is, how do you differentiate yourself from other brands addressing this issue? How do you make sure that you cut through the noise? How do you make sure that it does resonate deeply and authentically with your audience when others are speaking to the same crisis? When you look at the mental health care space right now, and particularly when you look at men's mental health, I would say mental health as a cause area, I feel very comfortable saying is underfunded in the US in particular that there aren't enough brands that are coming to the table, that there aren't enough brands who are actually giving money significantly to nonprofit organizations. There are some, there are pockets that are doing like really great work. Overall in a field, in this field, we need more. And so we have taken on the, the water is warm, like come on in, <laughs> you know, and we talk to other brands and I'm like, please join us. Let's talk. I'd love to, to share our resources and what we've learned. Overall, we do this because we want to make an impact in the world. So therefore, I think we need to have the philosophy that like, we need to best practice share with other orgs and other brands too. And how does it all fit together? You've got partners, you've got your role in social impact, you've got the purpose of the company, you've got your supply chain and raises to get out to people. Are they separate? Are they siloed? Or are they sort of integrated in and around your mission? How does it all fit together? I think it's a little bit siloed right now, but we're moving more and more um, as we grow into figuring out how does social impact come through every department? You know, what are they thinking about? How is purpose really driving through decisions? And the same way that I hope that diversity and inclusion will sort of integrate itself into those departments, right? And we're seeing that change, like that's actually happening right now for many brands out in the world, which is super exciting. You know, Jeff and Andy are incredibly passionate about this cause area. They're passionate about giving back. 
um, and our team getting involved in giving back. And so I think that also is critical that you need to have leadership that's standing behind this, that's consistently talking about it. Um, for us, it happens generally at team meetings. You know, how are we introducing new partners at team meeting? How does our team actually know and feel these partners? We bring them a lot of our, our nonprofit leadership into what we call fireside chats. Um, that our team can attend. These aren't just logos to us. They're people, they're organizations that our team actually gets to know their work pretty intimately. You know, paint a picture of that. Like what happens? Do Jeff and Andy sit down and say, this is what I'm struggling with? I mean, it's such a sensitive issue, but to build a culture and inspire people around that is really powerful. What, what does it look like? I think for me, it looks like um, what I referenced before in that, like, you know, starting a team meeting and just being honest that like things are really crappy right now. Things are really hard right now. So I think it's those small things where you're getting these really raw moments from leadership that are willing to talk about mental health. I think it happens when you're talking about a project out in the world that you're doing with a nonprofit partner and you're talking about veterans and that, you know, 33% of the suicides that happen in this country from veterans come from, you know, 4% of the U.S. counties. And there's like a fluency and we're building this sort of rhetoric, right, around mental health and you're slowly sort of ticking away at it. And it's consistently coming out in your team so much so that you feel open and honest talking about your own mental health and referencing, you know, crisis text lines all of the time. If a team needs it, this is where you would find it. Um, If you need therapy right now, this is where you find it. So how do you commit to this over the long term? How do you keep it alive? How do you keep that balloon up in the air? Yeah, so I think it's through this 1% model that really is helpful. That 1% of all sales go back to nonprofit organizations. And as we launch new brands under the Harry's and Gumbrella, so right now we have Flamingo, which is our women's care brand, and we'll continue to launch new brands. All of those will actually have a 1% model too. Um, and I do think that as we move forward, it's going to get easy and easy, easier and easier. And we could, you know, to the point where hopefully like a Ben and Jerry's, hopefully like a Patagonia where you could could like never go back on, on something like this. Share with us one lesson on the way. You know, it doesn't always work out perfectly despite your best intentions. What's one lesson you've learned on the way that has really helped you moving forward? Yeah, I, I think the biggest lesson for us was to really do the digging and making sure that we slowed down in the beginning to make sure that mental health was the right cause area for us. In particular, like did this work for our team? We did not feel okay shouting from the rooftops that you need to get access to mental health care and internally feeling like our team didn't feel like we were living up to those values. Um, And along the way, I think a lot of folks pumped the brakes for us to do a little bit of a census internally. Okay, where are, what are our perks and policies? What What is our management philosophy that actually supports mental health? How do we rewrite our entire benefits one pagers so that it has a lens of mental health? And so we really did take the time to do those things and check in with our team internally to make sure that it tracks and it feels right. Um, I think for us, that was a huge win. And so that was a lesson that we, we definitely learned along the way. Slow it down, make sure that it tracks. You would never want to talk about an issue that didn't feel right with our team. Maggie, thank you so much for your insights and for the work that Harry's is doing around an important issue, which is even more important now during the time of COVID-19. I've been talking to Maggie Hero, who's the head of social impact at Harry's. Maggie, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Lead with We, where I was talking with Maggie Haro, the head of social impact at Harry's, who shared with us how you decide what issue your company should commit to, how you make sure that you're doing it for real, and how you leverage partnerships most effectively to scale your awareness and impact. You can subscribe to Lead with We on Apple, Google, or Spotify and recommend it to your friends and colleagues so they too can become a purposeful and profitable business. If you'd like to learn more about how you can build a purposeful brand, check out wefirstbranding.com where we have lots of free resources and case studies. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode of Lead with We.